Welcome, Speech Guys listeners, to the official start of Season 2 of the Speech Guys. Uh, we're going to kick off the new season with a new quad of speeches, Speeches Before You Die. So uh, we've heard a lot of speeches given from the middle and primes of people's lives, so we decided to see what we can learn from speeches given at the end of people's lives. We're going to start this quad of speeches with a speech by Jimmy Valvano. Jimmy Valvano was a college basketball coach, uh, pretty well known for rushing the court dramatically after a last-second victory in the NCAA National Championship game when he was coaching for North Carolina State. And the speech we're going to go over tonight is his speech given at the 1993 ESPY Awards just a few months before he passed away. So we hope you guys enjoy and take away as much from the speech as we did. When you see the road from every direction Going. We're, going. we're going we're going i think we're going we're going okay super exciting wonderful yeah you sound a little you sound a little bad so mike oh look at that hat. <clears throat> the speech guys must go on probably would have killed the average man no whiskey tonight unless i get inspired right now i have hot water and lemon juice i thought whiskey killed it Yeah, that might be true. See, that's one of the bits that might get me going on the whiskey. Like, oh, by shit, the man. end, I might be like, COVID, it's a myth! Fake news! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you know where you got it from, Matt? Um, I don't. And it, So, Claire was, Claire was sick before I was, but she just had a very short, like, 12-hour type of thing she had like she was she didn't take her temperature but she just felt like chills feverish um this was like last week saturday going into sunday and then abe had a fever and was sick for a couple days and then i had then i got it so i just yeah basically i must have got it from them but i have no idea where they would have gotten it from because i mean claire's been hasn't really been out and about a ton just taking care of when did you test yesterday or this morning uh, I tested this morning. I got a PCR swab yesterday, but I did the like the and home you test. Felt sick. That's what prompted you to take it. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was at a conference with several hundred people this week, and kind of wore a mask and avoided most outside of my team. Um, and that was Tuesday, and I still. Still, I'm like doing great, so I think I might have got in and out of there without getting it. We'll see. Good. And Ross is teaming with artificial and natural yeah. antibodies. With the amount of shots so. they put in me and the COVID that I've had, I love <laughs> so many I, antibodies. I kill COVID when it comes into my body. <laughs> <laughs> so, what we got going on tonight, Ross? What's what's our vision here? Ross has recorded the intro. That was really hard. So, Mike was like, just like 10, 10 maybe 15 seconds, but like tell him yeah. we're starting season two and introduce the new quad of speeches and like just give a short blurb on who the person is in the speech they gave. I got a lot packed in in um, 50 seconds. 50 seconds. 
<laughs> you would have saved time if you didn't say the word speech about 50 times. <laughs> um, so another addition to this new season is I want to try using the actual speech excerpt in the podcast as much as possible. So Whoa. I have the audio pulled off. They obviously how I imagine it just get something similar is you know we'll listen sort of on our own on YouTube whatever excerpt we're going to focus on first because Ross has two of them. Um, so we'll we'll just end up replacing that audio yep. with the actual excerpt um, when we like don't have you know like there's a speech from like 1900. I think we should like try finding people with acting experience in our circle of friends to read the excerpt for the speech. So Bobby. <laughs> so Bobby. Isn't, what? Isn't he the only one? Bobby? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bobby McNeely would be great. And you're, like, getting at least one other person right. to listen this to. This is the so reason. This that. is the reason, like, we just, we need artists and creativity and this is probably why we should all move to Austin and just join the city that is the podcasting capital of the world so that we can feed off of that. <laughs> is Austin really is Austin really the podcast yeah. capital? Hmm. 100%. What makes Yeah, like, Rogan like, moved from Rogan LA there, to I Austin, assume? Tim Ferriss moved from San Francisco to Austin. Um Pretty it's like if you're, like an Matt if you're an Schultz independent creator who's like more on the intellectual side you're in Austin and not LA or somewhere else. Interesting. And Rogan, he didn't even podcast when he had COVIDs. And yeah, we've we, got two we've got to get that podcasters yeah. right now. So really, we yeah, why aren't we in Austin? <laughs> okay. Or does that make Peoria, Springfield, uh, wherever you're from, Mike, <laughs> Chicago, the podcast capital. I think it makes Illinois the podcast wherever capital. Wherever you're from, Illinois Mike. Broadly. <laughs> so what if we go ahead and open up on YouTube Jimmy V's speech and we listen to that first excerpt just to get us on the same page and then sort of – If I we, are you going to open it and we all hear it or am I supposed to go to YouTube? Uh, well, no, you you won't be able to hear it. So you, you guys just open it, and uh, we'll listen to that first bit. Okay, you guys ready? Now when I'm fighting cancer, everybody knows that. Uh, and people ask me all the time about how you, you go through your life and how's your day. And nothing has changed for me, as Dick said. I'm a very emotional, passionate man. I can't help it. That's being the son of Rocco and Angelina Valvano. That just comes with the territory. Right? We hug, we kiss, we love. And, and when people say to me, how do you get through uh, life or, or each day, it's the same thing. To me, there are three things we all should do every day. We do this every day of our life. You're going to have, what a wonderful, number one is laugh. You should laugh every day. Number two is think. You should spend some time in thought. And number three is you should have your emotions moved to tears. Could be happiness or joy. But think about it. If you laugh, you think, and you cry. That's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week. You're going to have something special. So I think, I feel like when the first time I listened to this speech, the three things um, are definitely the, that was the first thing I think that was like, oh, like if you had to take one thing away from it, um, 
the first time I heard it, like those three things stuck with me. Like even when I picked this speech uh, for tonight, before I went and re-listened to it, like I knew he was like that's the thing I remembered the best. He's got you got to laugh, you got to cry, you got to think. Um, Absolutely. So I think that's part of why I think that just a what that stuck out to me um, is, uh, and I don't know, I just the the cry part I think is the unique, maybe the unique one. Um, and I know you guys had kind of said some things about it, um, but I think laugh and think are a little bit easier to accomplish. Um, I don't know. Do you guys cry daily? <laughs> I do not cry daily. <laughs> the amount of thinking I do compensates for the lack of presence of the other two. <laughs> <laughs> you just overthink every day. And that, <laughs> Am I crying enough? Am I laughing enough? Yeah, I think I think you're focused on like crying. It's like, oh, do you? Wow, who really cries every day? But then, like, the first two are sneaky. There's probably a lot of days I don't like genuinely laugh. Um, and even, I mean, there's even some days you could go through your routine and not like when I when I think of think, I probably think more of like reflection or grappling or prayer or you know like deeply thinking and you know there's days that probably doesn't happen either um i feel like the thinking one is interesting because like most people i mean everybody thinks about something but like I don't know. And maybe I'm trying to look too deeply into his point here, but like, so, I mean, I think a lot at work every day. I'm a physical therapist. You have to think about, you know, what you're going to do with this coming patient. If you have an, if you have an evaluation, like what are appropriate goals for him? Like you have to use your brain and think it has to, I mean, you have to use it, but like, I don't know, maybe it's just because I do it every day. So it becomes be kind of monotonous, it becomes kind of right. monotonous, but I feel like when I hear it, at least in the context of the speech and maybe cause it has that like kind of romantic flavor just because like the way he gives it, he's so passionate. Like, I don't know. I, it, to me, it seems like I would put more when I hear that, I think more like, have I read a book? Have I thought reflectively about something, you know, I could be better doing better in my own life. Like, um, more the, I don't know. In my head, I hear it more as like the artistic side than like the, you know, scientific nuts and bolts side of thinking. Right, because the first point is laugh, the third is cry. Like, those are, he's talking about emotion. So I think, I believe his perspective of thinking is like a type of thoughtfulness that is not in the regular course of the day and is more of an emotive thinking that is off track from you just going through your day that like thinking that like stirs emotion or analyzes something about yourself or you know kind of outside of work or I think <clears throat> as I sort of indicate the notes you know I was just sort of skeptical like really crying every single day I mean that's just crazy um as we sort of talk through this, I think like what like sticks out to me the most is that almost as if like these three things, laughing, thinking, crying, they're almost more of like 
a proxy for the sort of demeanor that Jimmy V seemed to have with respect to his uh, uh, impending death. Yeah. Pretty pretty quick impending death since he passed yeah. away just like two months after this, I think, right? Um, right, and, you know, you get a little bit of it through the rest of the speech. He's, he's an Italian and, you know, living life vigorously is, is uh, sort of his shtick, his thing. Um, and the fact that he's sort of, you know, this speech and the segment of the speech is almost like right. an anthem to that and affirmations to that. It's like, you know, this big public figure is dying and the way that he's able to affirm that is almost more for other people because if they see Jimmy V like all sad and distraught over his own death, then it's like, well, gosh, now I'm going to be scared to die more so. But so I think there might be, so, I mean, it's certainly partly genuine on his part, but I think partly, yeah, sort of, sort of giving an anthem to others that yes, despite the reality of death, this is how you want to continue to live. So, Kind of a mythical yeah. truth, as Jordan Peterson would say. <laughs> yeah, and I don't, no, I like the mythical truth thing that I think fit because, like, yeah, I don't think he literally cried every day, right? Um, I don't, yeah, and I don't think that's what he he was even trying to say. But I guess maybe like a more general way, like, do you engage with your emotions in like a substantial way? You know, and that's something that, like yeah doesn't happen very often with anyone and that much like i think is more realistic like i don't know if you literally need because it i don't know to some degree to like work yourself up to the point of tears like seems a little bit inauthentic but at the same time like i don't know bad things happen there are still bad things in the world like i don't know i guess i'm curious like what types of things would literally make you cry and what type or is it just like i think yourself I, i think be affected you know, I think he did literally and, cry uh, every day. To kind of wrestle with that. In, in the context of the paragraph before, so I'll take Mike's point to disagree with your point, Matt. He's like, I can't help it. Now I'm fighting cancer. Everyone knows that. Okay. People ask me all the time, how do you go through life as I'm fighting cancer? It's like I'm the son of these two Italian people. We're very passionate, emotive. It comes with the territory. So when people say to me, how do you get through life each day? So it's like, you know you're going to die. That's the context of the question. So how do you get through life each day? And so, yeah, pre him knowing he was going to die, maybe not. Maybe he didn't cry every day. But now that he does know he's going to die, the essence of him, like, what would you tell or do or say or what would you live out knowing that you're going to die and it and for him it was like he's very emotional that gives him life and um you know probably emotional with other people or that's how he connects with people and so every interaction with them like like just cut to the chase um you know we can laugh we can live large we can think and Part of it is is crying for him, and I, I think that's that's true. I think we should uh, maybe on the topic of crying. Still, of course, did you guys see? 
I looked up how often the average man, American man, cries. Where'd it go? I, I didn't see it. Was this, how was this data gathered? Is this self With all or, uh, studies of social science. <laughs> um, you know, because that's going to bias your results, so I imagine. Where did it go? You're like being the opposite of cry right now, Matt. Like, shut up with your data <laughs> statistics. This Sorry. is how many I'm people thinking, cry. All right? I'm believe thinking. Him. <laughs> I'm thinking. You guys don't let me think. I'm going to cry, all right? Was it twice per month? Was it twice per month? Oh, here we go. Here we go. According, according to a Harvard study, men cry two times per month. Harvard, Matt. Is that good enough for you? <laughs> two times per month. I would have guessed less than that. I mean... Yeah, I yeah, would. Who, who are like? Who did they sample with this? I'm just curious. I did not. What do they? Do they have like an operational definite? Like, do you like get teary eyed? Does that count? You know, because <laughs> like I don't know. I've gotten teary eyed. Like, I don't know. Okay, so then the next question: um, When when is the last time you guys cried? Here's here's the Rosses don't podcast scared. All right. Well, I'll go first since I was just being too much of a thinker and not a crier um so when i filled or i wrote down my answers when did i cry okay so i wrote down my answers but since i wrote this down i actually cried this afternoon i was just thinking so i was taking a nap right so i was sick i'm sick today i have covid i'm not podcast or i'm podcasting with covid no big deal you know i'm just a hero it's not a big deal but so I was taking a nap, and I, I normally when I'm sleeping the lights are off. It's dark, but uh, more light today. You know I'm sleeping in the middle of the day, and I see this picture of Claire and I on our wedding day, and just I don't know like the speech, talking about death and like you're just thinking about some of that stuff I was doing earlier in the day. It made me think like crap. Like what would I actually do if like Claire were to die or if Abe were to die, and like yeah, like it did bring me to tears. Oh, wow. Um, just like considering like what, yeah, what my world would look like, what my life would be like, it would, um, yeah, I mean, it would be irreparably different. Um, and like not even a little bit, like just unbelievably different. So I suppose it was today, but as I wrote that, it was, uh, before that, the only, the last time I remember crying was Abe's birth. Um, yeah, (laughs) before that it was either watching the movie up with Claire, uh, or uh, or at my grandpa's funeral. I suppose yeah. those are the other ones. So solid, solid answers. I got mine. One one's pretty light. Um, probably during a recent episode of This Is Us, starting to watch right, what, show. So hold on. <laughs> so like so up. Good. This is us. Um, Can you? What? And I have a movie one too. Like what? type of scene or what puts you over the edge or what message is being sent it's like oh there they go the tear ducts are flowing that's that's a good question um yeah definitely like love romance type stuff and that's actually more so like the past probably six or seven years um that particular thing Whereas in the past, it was more like death, like seeing some beloved character die on screen, which that's still the case. I mean, hey, I cried like that when the Iron Man died, like every other good American. 
But right, my throat got dry, just to clarify that. But, <laughs> but yeah, the romance thing. There's actually a scene, I was telling a friend this recently, um, yeah, a couple of years ago. There's a scene from the new Little Women film. Oh, gosh, that is such Little a Women, is film. that Reese? But there's a scene where... Yeah. Reese Witherspoon? Uh-huh. No, she's not in either version. I don't think. Um, but there's a scene where, like, the guy is ex- expressing his feelings towards this particular, well, towards the main character, girl. And there's, um, well, I won't say it out of, because just in case this person is listening, they figure out with them. But um, anyway, there's just something really striking about, uh, about that scene that was very familiar. Um so, yeah, love, romance, things I cry in films. On the more serious point, this sounds depressing, though. On the more, like, actual real-life crying, it was a few months ago, and it was at the, like, sudden realization of breaking up with this particular girl several years ago. And what was really striking was that I did not shed a tear when we broke up until very recently. So going into all the details is the topic for another show, but that's enough to like sort of satisfy the requirement there. That's a story for the double gold members. For the campfire conversation. Send a check straight to the email. We'll, we'll take him from there. I would say my last time crying, if we're just talking like mild tearing up, which I, I don't know if I would answer that as crying or not. Maybe, I guess technically. Um, but I feel like anytime, sometimes when I hear like certain music or songs, I don't know why, it makes me kind of think of like the... Uh, like, pick a scene from a movie where somebody, like, self-sacrificially dies. Um, I know. I'm sure. Yeah, I was thinking Bruce Willis in Armageddon. Actually. Oh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I definitely yeah, yeah, tried yeah. that back in the but, day. But, uh, like, anytime, I, like, for some reason, certain, like, music makes me, like, just bring back those, like, memories in my head. And sometimes I'll just think about them, or sometimes I'll, like, picture myself in that spot, and, like, that just kind of brings <laughs> me to tears a little bit. Um, so I don't know if that's good or bad. But, uh, and then, I guess one kind of like more of a reflective crying. Then, like, and this has been years ago at this point. Not that I haven't cried since then, but like one that popped into my head, so I wanted to share it. Was I remember when Thomas, who's my oldest son, for the listeners, I don't want to give him too much information. That might be my oldest son, listeners. Um, <laughs> when he turned one, I was rocking him in a chair, and I just like thought through his sleep, and I just like thought through that year and like the different things we went through that year and that like literally moved me to tears because um, I feel like sometimes I don't cry in the quote-unquote stereotypical like cry moments like when your kid is born or something um, but I, I like very distinctly remember that like rock it was our first house just rocking in the rocking chair with him sleeping and just kind of thinking about that first year I mean like that legit made me cry um, yeah I think tear up, tear up. I'd probably be on the once or twice a month. Um, ideally, in like reflective moments. I think most similar to what Matt described. Just like 
um, I don't know, whether it's a speech or something you wrote or a song that comes on, like you just feel, um, I don't know, perhaps connected with the spirit or close to God or just like thankful and grateful and, you know, I would say like slightly moved to tears. Um, my movie, if there is like usually, I usually watch It's a Wonderful Life a couple weeks before Christmas and that that's that's probably my uh, my cry movie. Um, just being, yeah, George Bailey being caught up in everything and just getting to the... Do you cry at the very end, like when they all come in and they sing together, and Sam Sam like wires him way more money than they actually needed? I, yeah, I think <laughs> <laughs> they needed eight thousand dollars, and after like everybody brings in and puts in like four dollars each, like Sam just wired twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that that part's like every other time. Maybe um, sometimes it's just like oh, like the movie's over, it's good. Um, I think also when he's at the bar at uh martinis the first time he does like a really good acting job where it's just like he's starting to pray and like i'm at the end of my rope and like i need help and um i think i don't know if it was acted really well or just uh uh yeah it's a good it's a good movie very well acted by mr stewart are there any <clears throat> are there any Jimmy Stewart impressions you can do for the I want a really big game? one <laughs> How about the I'm, moon, Mary? I'll have some Jimmy moon. Stewart. That was good. I'm pretty sure he actually like had PTSD. Like somebody's I've heard maybe somebody told me this or I read this that he had PTSD from the war and he like channeled that for the like when he broke down there towards yeah the it wasn't necessarily he channeled it i think it was shot pretty close after he got back and he signed up for the war and just he was pretty famous already and was just like nope like send me to the front lines he was a pilot and went on quite a few raid bombing missions um lost friends got back might have might have um I don't know how long it was filmed after, but yeah, just still very, he was pretty like emotionally raw and just the way the script was written, quite a bit of his um, processing just like came out and a lot of that anger that was legit, it was more him than his acting abilities. Crying, uh, we're still on crying before we move away from it. Um, I also, I remember crying, a couple months ago we watched the movie Fatima, which is about the, like, Our Lady of Fatima, like, Mary's apparitions um, in Portugal, like, 100 years ago-ish, um, and I, I don't know why, honestly, but, like, I remember that movie, that movie made me cry, actually, but, um, don't have, like, a good reason why, but, um, I don't know, I feel, okay, so, cry daily, often, some, let yourself be moved to tears, um, what about the somebody posted something I was kind of thought it'd be interesting, like laughter. Somebody posted some on the outline some like a like a link to something about the psychological just the benefits of laughter. I did, and I didn't read that, so I didn't really know what that included. 
Yeah, the well, the link I, I posted was more of a general summary of, of various psychological benefits, which, um, yeah, I think to some degrees are fairly obvious. There is one study, I couldn't find it today, but I remember hearing it on, uh, I don't know if it was an NPR thing or some other podcast, uh, but it was basically the a study on whether or not forced laughter, like even if laughter was forced, not like in response to um, like an authentic stimulus, um, but even forced laughter, like just like, <laughs> like making yourself laugh, um, like actually did produce some I think sort it of works. Like general health benefit. But, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I guess, I don't know, it's like a placebo effect of some sort or, or like caffeine. All you have to do is think you're yeah. being caffeinated and you'll feel the effects. I did it. I actually did it last week when I saw that in the notes. I was like, huh, I kind of tripped and accidentally experimented with it. Um, my wife and I, I don't remember what the disagreement was, but we were kind of just talking through something that had some tension to it and you know, some decision had to be made and we were just on different sides and working through it and something silly happened and I like let out just a little chuckle. It wasn't that funny at all, but I just decided to like pour more laughter into it and just let myself think it was funnier and audibly like laughed louder than it deserved. And she was like, why are you laughing at that? And I was like, I don't know, just because, like, what, just to bring some, yeah, lightness to the situation. and Helped a ton. Um, might try to do it more often. And I feel like... Back to, to crying. <laughs> But I feel like the fact that he has both of these things, no, I think the fact that he, I mean, he talks about both these things in tandem and just kind of thinking of what I envision as like the, uh, the very like emotional or not, yeah, I guess emotional or passionate Italian type, which he seems to kind of be referencing, right? You know, he talks about Rocco and Angelina's parents. Um, But it's like, if you laugh and you cry, like you're not taking anything too seriously. You know what I mean? If, if you're able to do both of those things in a day, like it, it shows that you've got the sort of like emotional flexibility, yeah. you know, and you're not like letting whatever made you cry, it's not ruining your day, you know, and whatever made you laugh, it, it's not like you're drunk with laughter and you, and you can't be serious when you need to be, you know, it, and it's this kind of, um, I don't know, like I, I remember there was something in like everyone loves Raymond, which I I know the episode you're about to describe. The bunny. I don't re- I don't recall the specifics of a bunny or anything, but it was basically some. It was uh, there. Were, yeah, there's some fight between you know the Barone family, and I believe um, Amy, who's a, kind of a girlfriend of what well, uh, peripheral characters. They're this like very, uh, very quiet kind of passive family. And they're like, why, you know, like, how do you guys love each other if you guys are arguing so much? And basically, like, the, they they kind of was like, well, and then they all just kind of turned against them and they all joined together, like, in a second. You know, like, so there's this kind of, like, there's this, like, anger, you know, that was very obviously expressed. And then there was this, like, 
camaraderie that like immediately clicked into to high gear, you know, just with the, but like, I guess the, I don't know, one of the lines one of the characters had was like, you know, we just say all the things we feel and we feel better afterwards, you know, or something to that effect. I don't know. But either way, like, it's the kind of thing that, um, I don't know, I think it is a healthy thing just to, yeah, like if you let things fly, not obviously don't be a jerk about it, but like, that's, I mean, he seems like that kind of guy, you know, like you let things fly and you, you, um, yeah, you just say what you think to some degree, you know, you have to have a, a filter of some sort and, but just either way, just don't take yourself too seriously, I guess, seems to be kind of the central thing because that's where you, you really hurt people and that's where you really kind of get a bad kind of personal, uh, perspective, you know, I think to kind of like not summarize them, but, like, connect the three things, too. Um, laugh, think, and cry. They're just very, like, basic human things. So, like, um, I don't know. Like, I like – and somebody put in the, in the notes, like, just crying and how we don't really like to do that in today's society. But yet, like, I mean, from, like, a Judeo-Christian's perspective, right, in the Bible, like, King David weeps, Jesus weeps. And then somebody else put, like, the ancient Greeks, like, multiple of the – was it um, Odysseus? Yeah, like multiple like Odysseus Greek heroes Achilles, like wept, yeah. and like that wasn't like a negative thing on them whatsoever. So I don't know, like to kind of bring all those three things together, like you have to really live like real life to do those things. So um, like I laugh more on our camping trips than I do watching a TV show, but I probably laugh watching a TV show more than when I'm looking at my cell phone, and like I. Mm. I don't know, like, when I'm, I don't know, so I don't know if there's anything to that, but, like, just in, like, you have to really live life to experience or to live those three things, maybe. Uh, maybe, eh, you could, I mean, I guess we could argue that maybe against some of those things, but um, we just kind of seem a lot today to distract ourselves from life, you know, um, whether that's watching Netflix or looking at our cell phones or, um I don't know if there's anything there or not, but I just kind of feel like we there's this tendency to kind of like escape from life and distract ourselves from life as opposed to like embrace life. And I think the embrace life might be more commonly lead to, you know, the three things that Jimmy B says we should do. I think there might be uh, some some relationship here with another component of the speech that I don't know, it might be worthwhile to visit. So he tells that story of the Vince Lombardi uh, sort of guidelines for excellence, right? So he's this excited head basketball coach at Rutgers, only 21 years old, which is crazy. Freshman coach at Rutgers at the time, not head okay. coach, but still impressive. Okay. Well, head coach at the freshman. <laughs> and, you know, it's like I can sort of imagine myself doing it, right? So he has Vince Lombardi as his uh, – Inspiration. He reads this book about Vince Lombardi or by, by Vince Lombardi about how to present a great speech to your athletes. And, you know, this one collection of words sticks with um, Jimmy. And it's this line from Vince Lombardi, which is, you know, there are three things which are going to make us successful this year, guys. Uh, you're going to focus on family religion and the green bay packers right and that gets jimmy all excited he's like that's perfect i'm just gonna switch out green bay packers with Rutgers basketball and of course 
the whole thing sort of falls through because he gets stuck not being able to get into the locker room, and then he accidentally says Green Bay Packers instead of uh, Rutgers basketball. That was great. I laughed, and I well, I think there is like a relationship between that story, you know, just sort of like break us loose a little bit on the laugh, think, and cry thing. There is a relationship in that story to what he just talked about, right? Because within that story, you do sort of have all three of those elements, right? You laugh at the one part because, you know, he can't get into the locker room and it's just not going the way that he wants. There's a thought because, yeah, he's like, I'm going to present the most inspirational speech possible. He picks this thing from Vince Lombardi. And then there's crying in the sense of, like, what is the most appropriate way to navigate the tragedy, quote-unquote, of this scene, right? So he probably he took it in stride, and he sort of, like, laughed at it in a sense, sort of, like, licking those emotions. So, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's something about that story that I really like of him showing this really broad spectrum of himself to a crowd where, um, you know, people obviously knew he was a great basketball coach, but... They didn't necessarily know, at the very least for us, for sure, didn't know what kind of person he was, right? Like, that that story just says a lot about a person. He seemed very, I mean, kind of like you said, that story, I think, told a lot about him. He was just so genuine in how he spoke, too. And I think that's part of why the speech was just really powerful. Um, I don't know. I feel like, I know, like, for myself, sometimes I struggle with, you know, especially, I guess, maybe in more like the work type settings, but you always had kind of have in the back of your mind, like what the other person's going to think of you or how they're going to take this situation or what they're going to think about it afterwards, as opposed to just, you know, kind of being genuinely yourself. Um, And I think that he was able to do that. I mean, it seems like he did, I guess, Um, completely. I think that was the best part. I I went and replayed that part again of, it was a little of his origin story. He was giving this big speech at the ESPYs, and it just brought him back to like his first big speech ever. And um, and he's a basketball coach, right? So it you know about any any high school college coach, like the locker room talk, the motivational speech, like what are we gonna get through? You'd probably do it twenty, fifty. A hundred times a season, you kind of have to start and end practice with like a little bit of a speech. And he's given thousands and thousands of these, like one minute, two minute. I need to convey a little bit of a message here. And he was trying to do that on stage at the ESPYs as he was dying. Um, and it just hearkened him back to age 21 when he completely botched it and messed up and probably didn't convey anything and all he had to do was remember three things like all he had to do was remember <laughs> what were they yeah family love your family love your religion green bay packers and you had to switch green bay to rutgers and he forgot <laughs> and uh and he probably was like even before getting on stage here it's like i just want to convey a message like laugh every day Think every day, cry every day. Um, and over the arcs of his career, he was able to remember that and fill it in with a lot of other good stuff. But um, I don't know. It's funny 
how I don't know how kind of the essence of like the sports locker room coach is uh, is speech oriented and a lot of people reflect on you know moments in their life where they were a part of that sitting on the bench or we're so wrapped up to you know, it like we want to be the guy to give the speech which is basically the only reason we do this podcast right we're we're enthralled with it too you know it's it's sort of a digression here but it's 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 relevant too though yeah sort of like what you're getting at landon like the philosophy of the speech and how it does have like this religious quality to it right it's like where without the speech like in cross country in high school Mm -hmm. as a team captain Mm -hmm. and i I was sort of the speech giver. I before every cross country meet, I had like this little book called the Cold War Runner, which is behind me still. And I'd flip through it prior to the meet, and I'd find the quote I was going to use, and I'd give a little talk to the team, and then I'd sort of close it with just whatever the quote that I was going to use for that meet was. Right. And I remember maybe like the first couple times doing that or something, like feeling a little bit awkward because it's almost as if that speech the act of giving a speech in that moment or a sports moment for that matter, is sort of like an act of faith because you can all go to the starting line or the center of the court. And it's like, you all generally agree what you're going to do. We're going to play basketball this way. or We're going to run. But at the same time, it's like you can have people on the court who are sort of like just going along with it. But when you make that, quote, act of faith, if you will, that this is what our competition is going to mean, there's, that's why the sports speech is so powerful. It's because it is the, this act of faith that's not that's dressed fair. in the usual cloak of religion. Um, and at the end of one's life, so to tie it back into this quad, at the end of one's life, as in the case with Jimmy V here, it is the ultimate act of faith in saying that this this is what my life meant. You know, and for everyone else, because rally is everyone has a speech before you die, right? No matter who you are. And it may like seem really intuitive to us, like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to give a good speech before I die. You know, I'm not just going to, say something inane like other people (laughs) but i wonder even at that point when you give that last speech whether it requires just as much courage and just as much faith to say something meaningful and sincere as any other moment yeah Mm -hmm. i would think it would i mean obviously it depends on a lot of things but um i think this kind of transitions well into something else we were going to talk about but i posted a link and we'll have it in the show notes but uh um our our friends over at the art of manliness they had a podcast a couple years ago um, <laughs> um close personal uh, their podcast it was the dying experience myths and answers so um Nice little supplement to our episode here for anyone who's interested, but um, I think they, inter- I think uh, Brett interviewed a hospice nurse. I think it was. Sorry, it's been a while since I've listened to it, but um, 
just talking about death. And the reason I say this is because kind of the idea of like the the speech and the person, the guest on the show kind of, I mean, she'd been around death a lot, but she kind of posed it as we're used to seeing death in movies as, you know, the person's laying there. They know that they have a minute left. They say something very memorable and know their eyes kind of close or whatever. Like they kind of have that opportunity, you know, but she kind of, um, I guess in her opinion, it was kind of the opposite. She was kind of like, typically death's not like that. It's a several day process. The body slowly shuts down. Um, you're not really consciously aware towards the end of what's going on. So most of the time, and not to say that there's not people that have had, you know, the chance, but a more typical death is not the, here, I have a chance to give my last words because I know my time is near, if that makes sense. Um, I guess you might kind of know towards the end of your life and your older age that you don't have a ton of time left. Um, but, um, and I just kind of thought that was interesting that in her experience it was very different than the, um, kind of the movie experience, if you will. So we do all have our last speech and, you know, we all have our last opportunity to really talk to somebody deeply, but it's not necessarily right there at the time of death, if that makes sense. So for anybody that doesn't know, too, so Jimmy Valvano, for the listeners, was, he's, what, two months away from his death here, um, I think, give or take. Uh, and a lot of people, apparently, he didn't lose his hair with chemotherapy. And just that, and in combination with his just kind of boisterous personality, I, a lot of people didn't know how sick he was when he gave the speech. But I listened to an interview with Dick Vitale, who's another big basket, college basketball personality, and he was the one up on stage. She's standing like 20 feet off to the, um, to the side of Jimmy V during the speech, and he had helped him up, I think, onto the stage, and he said he was just, he, they were good friends, and he was just so, he was shocked that he was, he thought it was going to be like a 10-second thanks because Jimmy V was just so weak and sick that he wouldn't be able to stand up there and give it. Uh, so it was pretty impressive that he was able to, what was it, like 12 minutes, I think the speech was. But Could I go back to sports speeches? Do you, I, Mike, you wrote in the notes, like, ah, oh, like sports, you know, mostly just cross country for you. But your talk of being the speech giver in cross country, I just connected a bunch of dots. So I'll, I'd be curious if you guys have an experience like this. Um, if you have a good sports speech you were a part of or you heard that didn't end with a botched Green Bay Packers reference. Um, 2002, I was first year cross country. We made it to state. Not a huge deal. We we were pretty good though, and like we thought we could win state as a team. Middle school. This is middle school. Um, and our coach was the janitor at the high school at the middle school. Um, no one else wanted to coast cross country and it actually should be a Disney film. If I would write one book first, I would write this book because yeah, he was a janitor, um, and took over cross country, um, ended up doing track and girls volleyball, went to state. He has the most trophies in our high school, um, most state medalists. Uh, he just, and yeah, uh, I'll go off on a tangent. His name was also Jimmy. Um, and 
so this was his second year. He got fifth in state, and we were probably going to win state. And this is 2002, so we didn't have social media. Like, no one read any motivational books when you're in middle school. And we get to the starting line, and it's, well, it's cold out. And, like, he had kind of prepared a speech. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, he just, like, tied it into the school a little bit. He's like, guys, it's cold out. Like, it's November, whatever. He's like, there's going to be a little extra pain out there today, but, like, the the pain you feel, that's that's going to be temporary. The pride that you can get today is going to be forever. Like, pain is temporary, pride is forever. That was the first time I'd ever heard that quote. And he, like, gave it to us, like, in a heavy manner. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, this this could be great. Um, and it's probably the best. If you would ask me, like, what's the best sports speech you heard in high school, middle school? Like, I remember that. Um, and we ended up, we tied first state champs that day and we got second um because of me it went to the sixth runner whatever so i lost this state championship but uh pretty like hey I'd, I'd be curious like i don't there's something i don't know naive about the the fact that that was kind of a generic quote he had discovered it and was well read for um that time i don't know if we've lost anything since like so much motivational stuff is like cynically like oh yeah cool quote um and like how would how would you like strike at the heart again in those situations now that we've lost that and then just to kind of summarize um yeah that's my best sports speech um the next year he got like pretty much the whole school to go out for cross country like no offense but like we had like 20 30 40 like pretty overweight kids like just trying out there to go two miles because like the janitor took the cross-country team to like state um pretty infamous dude uh won a lot of trophies Mm. and he died of covid last year actually um in his in his 50s so oh yeah gosh jeez but um ending to that story yeah, it seems to tie well into uh, the the evening that we have. <laughs> yeah. I'd watch that movie for Dang, sure. That's a really cool story. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I have a I have a folder I have a folder on my computer that's just called the book, and it's got an outline for like him and kind of how all that dude. fits together. Landon, but Landon would be the cocky white jock comes from. <laughs> comes from a family of money and he's like <laughs> he gets dirt on his white shoes the first day and doesn't want to come back <laughs> pretty much that essence is in there yeah dang that is a really cool story thanks Ross, did what was your best speech? You were you were a high school football all star. If our audience doesn't know, um, more cover shots of the SJR sports section than anybody I know. Um, did you did you have? Were you ever speeched upon by a coach that you recall to this day? Speeched upon by a coach, man. I honestly. Um, 
I can't think of one like single, like oh wow that was it. If that makes sense. Um, I mean, obviously pl- played a lot of sports, so mm-hmm. um, I feel like heard a lot of the pregame and halftime talks, you know. Um, but I can't recall like a single like oh that was it. You know what I mean? Um, I've got like I don't know. I feel like I've got the more like clips or like it was more like phrases that stuck with me if that makes sense it was never like a that speech did it for me at least from a coach um not to say that they weren't good speech givers but i don't have one i don't know if it was the speech or just the scenario but i I might have even referenced this in one of the way early episodes in fact i don't even know if it's officially been kept in recording so maybe our listeners will have to go through all of our episodes and listen to see if the story came up but uh, in high school, there is a uh, a coach who I didn't get to know real well. He was he was one of the varsity coaches um, when I was in you know freshman sophomore uh, junior year or basically my sophomore year he leaves because um, he has cancer um, and he just wasn't able to to continue coaching and you know, whatever. Um, so junior year, this is the day before our homecoming game against the best team on our schedule that year um, and conference rivals. Um, And we find out that he really wasn't doing very well and it was like he was starting to take a turn. Um, And literally the – basically two hours or so before the game, we found out that he had died. Um, And I don't remember specific words that were said – but whatever, uh, but yeah, just like the whole process, just the way, uh, yeah, just the way our team kind of like bonded together. Because the, the seniors knew him a lot better than the juniors did. Uh, but we all knew, knew who he was. He did some of the strength and conditioning stuff in the summer. Um, yeah, just like the way we all bonded together and like this, whatever speech, I don't remember a single word from it, to be honest. But like, I just remember that speech that was given to us like shortly before the game. Um, and we freaking pounded the crap out of them, um, which was, yeah, it was just like a really cool way to honor, uh, yeah, Coach Schlegel. So, a beach in my life. Now that we're talking about it more, I remember I was always into, like, I think somebody mentioned quotes. Mike, you mentioned, you like, quotes. Um, I was also really into quotes. So, I actually wore, I did it, like, I had it on during every game in high school. I wore an armband with um so like a lot of you'll see like and you don't really see it anymore but you used to see like the they'd raise their arm up and they'd kind of pull that thing up and they had that forearm thing with like all the plays and stuff on it you know in a football game um i had one of those and it had like i just had written down like it was like 20 quotes um that i'd found inspirational um and then i don't know if i'd call this a quote or a quip but so my dad i remember before my first ever football game so i'm like fourth grade i don't know why he told me this because it seems a little bit like heavy but he was he told me very specifically i remember he said if you score if you get lucky enough to score a touchdown act like you've been there before um which i don't know like maybe he thought i was going to just be obnoxious like i don't know why he wanted to tell me that (laughs) um now that i think about it but um i was just really proud of that always because then i actually did score a touchdown um but I 
got quoted. So that's like fourth grade. And then my senior year of high school, I got quoted in the paper and I brought that up. So I just kind of thought that was a kind of a fun, like, I mean, that's the end of my football career. Right. So like not that long, I guess, but, um, hmm. anyway, we'll be thinking about that one a lot. That's good. Good imagery. All right. So, um, one other thing I kind of wanted to bring up tonight that I thought was kind of cool. So Jimmy V, I mean, there's all kinds. If anybody is like, I feel like listeners should listen to this speech because we are not going to do it justice in any sense of the word. And it only takes like 12 minutes, but um, maybe we, I think just the fact that he was so close to death. Um, I, I referenced it earlier, but that art of manliness podcast. And I don't know, we don't, I don't know if you guys want to get too personal or not as far as like, being around death but something else that that uh that uh the whoever that person was that was on the podcast with uh brett mckay that for that episode brought up was that we are very uncomfortable with death so um i shared it in the pre-show but i think they brought up the point that you know for most of world history you know, if somebody's going to pass away, they're like, if grandpa's going to pass away, like he's upstairs in your house and you have to take care of him right up until the very end. And then you have to take care of the body. And like, that was just a very normal, like death was a very normal, someone else's death, I guess, but like death was a very normal part of life in a way. And yet today it's become very distant. Um, so you know, a, a more typical, someone's at the hospital, maybe at a nursing home. Not that, I mean, accidents obviously happen and some people die at home. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but most people, I guess, aren't directly around somebody at the final hours of life or right after they pass away. Um, so it's almost something we're kind of unfamiliar with or maybe a little bit afraid of. Uh, so I didn't know if you guys had any experiences of that or just... I mean, you don't have to share, but if anybody, you know, was around somebody that was, you know, near the end, just kind of, yeah, if that moved you at all, I guess, or if there's anything there. Yeah, like I was saying earlier regarding visitations or wakes, I think there's something on point there. Um, yeah, a few a few years ago... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this is bad to say. So, uh, gosh, now I feel bad. I don't remember who it was exactly. A fam, some sort of family friend of Jabot's cross country team. There, there was a wake or a visitation, and at the funeral home, and it happened that it just a lot of people knew them, and so we stopped at the funeral home on the way back from the cross country meet. Um, it was a small team. There's only like eight people or so, but we, uh, we went in and there were two of us coaches there. And like I was telling you guys earlier in the podcast, and I, obviously I didn't know this person super well, so I can't remember who it was, but I did intentionally go up to the casket, you know, where the kneeler is at. I don't know if that's just a Catholic visitation thing. Landon, are there kneelers at Protestant fields? <clears throat> we have open caskets. No one ever kneels in front of them, though. No. They just kind of go by and stand and be somber. Anyway, I went up to this person's casket, and 
and prayed at the actual kneeler for, yeah, not maybe 30 seconds or a minute, you know, said a few Hail Marys or something. And, and I, I always do that. And I thought that, and the other coach did not do that. And I thought that it was really important to exactly like what you're getting at, Ross, to, 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 to demonstrate that sense of, um, what's, what's the right word for it? Bravery is not the right word, but that sense of comfortability is not the right word either. You guys get that? What word were I looking for? That something towards death. The simple word might be respect. No, not even that either. Maybe it's a combination of all those words. Acceptance of death. Um, because, like I say, I, I don't. I feel like that's just a small thing to do that does matter. That to not act as if you're going to like catch death from that person or something. You know, I think a lot of times in that wake space, the visitation space, there is, I think, a certain um, respect. There, there is, there is something that can get lost sometimes. Where like people start to get too comfortable there, and they just start talking about whatever crap going on at the wake. At the wake, yeah, and. There's a certain conscientiousness towards the person who's passed that sort of called for throughout the entire scope of that of that experience. Yeah. I'll I'll go off that. I th- I don't I wouldn't call my story the deepest. I've had a couple grandparents die, but I wasn't their bedside a ton. Um, growing up in a pretty small town, I we went to a lot of visitations. I went from, I don't, I don't know why, but I went to like, our whole family kind of just went to any visitation. If a church member died or somebody just, I don't know if it was hundreds, but, um, and, and I think I have a couple uncles who live in like super small towns and uncles and aunts who like don't anymore. They kind of live in the bigger cities and they always comment on like, you know, it's like the ones who live in the really small town are always updating the other family members on like, oh, yeah, I went to so-and-so's visitation. They were the uncle of this and that person. And um, it doesn't seem to me like, yeah, I, if the smaller the community, the more, I don't know, maybe you deal with the death of every person around or near you. Um and sometimes the wakes are jovial. I, th- I think that, yeah, just showing up and paying your respects. Um, and I've stood in the line for both grandparents. And it's just like, yeah, gosh, the people who drive an hour or two hours or three hours um, to take time out of their day to, like, I don't know, love or honor you and the loss in your family, like, means a lot. Um and you don't realize that until you're kind of on the receiving end. Um, but it seems like it's something that is, um, I don't know, 
is is dying itself like you only maybe go to wakes if it was your family or someone you really really knew whereas like the older tradition was you kind of always dealt with death if it was anybody in your wider community who died and we're further away from that in kind of the society we live in then can i share well this might be I don't know if this isn't a stretch to say it's one of, if not the biggest regret of my life. I don't know if I've shared this with you guys. I'm sharing it with the podcast. So this is up there. Maybe not the biggest, but this is, yeah, this was something I definitely regret. Um, it was a, a friend of mine whose dad passed away. And um, I had kind of lost touch with him. I was really good friends with him when we were little. Um, yeah, just throughout time kind of just were distant but still close enough that um i uh yeah i just different things came up i was planning on going and just whatever catastrophic traffic scenario and like i wasn't gonna make it in time but i had something else later that evening whatever just didn't go um and uh just hearing and i talked to my mom about it um, the next day and just like hearing her description of the family and, and everything. And it just, it was the type of thing that like really, really hit me that like, dang, that was like a really big mistake, um, that I didn't go and just having experienced like several things like you just mentioned, Landon, you know, just seeing family members and just, um, yeah, people kind of doing that for, for different people. I'm like, wow, like that was a really good opportunity that I just blew, you know, to be a good friend to this guy you know yeah um, but uh, but yeah I would say that that's yeah just kind of talking about that scenario I think that's a yeah it's the type of thing that like I learned my lesson you know like when in doubt go <laughs> you know like um, even if it is like way out of the way even if it is like um, yeah forces you to completely change your plans you know um and in terms of, like, immediate encounters with death, like, I did actually get to see my grandma die, like, in her, like, very last breath, which was, like, yeah, an unforgettable experience. Um, and she wanted to, she wanted to die at home. That was, like, her thing. She had cancer. Uh, and, uh, yeah, basically it got to a point where she knew she wasn't going to beat it and she didn't want to treat it anymore and that, that was how it happened we you know had spent a couple days in a row actually at their house because we, we figured it would happen one of those days and it was very fortunate that like we were all about to leave for the evening um so we all kind of gathered in there um my family isn't particularly faithful but we might have said a prayer together in that scenario um and uh we just kind of were chit-chatting just a little banter about and um I don't know. One of them asked a question to my grandma and like mostly she was unresponsive, kind of like Ross, you mentioned, you know, it's this really drawn out process, but she kind of gave some sort of nod, which whether it was voluntary or not, I mean, I suppose who knows, but, um, they all kind of took it as voluntary just based on the question. And, um, and then at that point, like, it was just very obvious to all of us that like, Oh yeah, like she's not breathing. That was kind of her last little movement or whatever. Um, and when was that? So my, what's that? When was that? Gosh, I was a junior in college, so that would have been 2011. 
2011. But, uh, but yeah, so I actually did get to see someone die, which was, yeah, won't forget that for sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess kind of similar, and obviously we're, I mean, I was hesitant to share this at first, but I feel like, yeah, everybody's being respectful enough, but I remember my grandma, so she passed away of COVID in November of 2020, which is when we in, like, Central Illinois had our surge and our hospital filled up and all that. No, November 2021. Oh, gosh. year, but whatever, yeah, um... And, uh, wait, we just did that. I'm sorry. It was, tw- it was 2020. Sorry. I'm all sorry. It was 2020. Um, 2020. Yeah. Started second guessing yeah. myself. But, um, so at the time they were not allowing visitors at the hospital. Like, um, at the very end, they let my dad and my aunt in to spend some time with her, but that was it. So me and another, uh, I worked at the hospital and I actually have another cousin that did as well. So we were kind of able to maybe slightly bend the rules a little bit, but get in there and spend a little bit of time with her, um, which I think was important. Um, Cause I just think, yeah, just going through that alone would be brutal. Um, and, but anyway, I remember the, um, I say this like as respectfully as possible, but I remember the last time I saw her, like she looked different. And I remember thinking like, hmm, like it, she's about to pass away. Um, and it wasn't like the moment she passed, but I just remember there was like a weird, I don't know, just the, the, I don't know, the look, a feeling, what it would be, but uh, I just remember thinking that, like, wow, that's, like, it's about to happen, um, and I don't know, it's just a weird experience, I guess, that's the only person I've ever been around that was, you know, right at, almost at the time of their actual passing. So I think an interesting thought, I think, is a nice way to sort of tie up these thoughts, Um I googled uh, corporal works of mercy. Um, this is a good confirmation trivia question for you guys. List the corporal works of mercy. <laughs> this is like the number pi. Every every person should know number pi. Every Christian should know the corporal works of mercy. <laughs> okay. I mean, feed the hungry, bury clothe the, the naked, uh, visit the sick, bury the dead. Um, Apparently, Matt cares nothing for the imprisoned and thinks that people can just drink their own spit. <laughs> so, yeah, what's the last one mean? What's the last one mean? Uh, well, the last one I said was give water to the thirsty. Give water, okay. Anyway, the the point there though is that bury the dead one. So when I was teaching theology, there I shared both years with the students an article actually from NPR called always go to the wake. It's a good riff on what you were saying, Matt, with your story. And it's like the wake or visitation is basically the rest of the world's opportunity to bury the dead. Right. I mean, practically speaking, obviously the people who work in the cemetery buried the dead, but which, you know, it's fine. That's how, I mean, I don't know how to bury caskets. I don't know how deep they go. Make sure things are level. But going to the visitation, yeah, it's bury the dead. It's almost sort of like, I think, a metaphor for expose yourself to death in so far as much as possible. Um, yeah. Be, it's it's a way to sort of almost like, you know, the other corporal works of mercy 
Like, that's obviously tending to the bodily needs of every other aspect of one's life, right? Giving them water, giving them food. If you mess up, still visiting them in prison. But burying the dead is, like, that very last thing. You don't, like, they don't die, and they're like, oh, okay, just leave their body somewhere. No, burying the dead is, like, that final sort of mark of respect, that sort of, sort of final affirmation of dignity. And... Going to the wake, you know, is is the opportunity for most of the time to to do that. Um, I totally agree with everything you just said, and even like one step further. I remember this couple of years ago. I saw some post, and it honestly, I didn't fact check it, but it pretty much said like around the time of Halloween, so it's All Hallows Eve. There's this tradition in Poland where people will go to the cemeteries to pray for the dead. Um, and there's this, like, beautiful picture. So, like, instead of dre- instead of dressing up like ghosts and goblins and ghouls, like, we maybe have a more appropriate view of death. And they, you know, took candles and went to the cemetery and prayed. Um, and I, don't know, I just thought, I was like, wow, it's a much more beautiful acceptance of acknowledgement of death than, you know, dressing up like a goblin and a vampire. But, um, so we... St- not we started, but like that's something I really want to like instill in my kids. So like every year around Halloween, I want to like go to cemeteries of people like of our you know grandparents and things like that. Um, and I know like my mom tries hard to like go to the cemeteries of her parents and grandparents and like yeah, just like clean up the gravesite because like it gets dirty and right. Not that you like have to do that, but like that's just like a way she tries to. Yeah, just show those, you know, yeah, they've passed away, but, like, their lives mattered. So, you know, she's going to go and make sure that, yeah, things are in order, I guess, at the places where they're buried. Yeah, that's interesting. That comment on, you know, what you said Polish people do on According to the Facebook post, yes. (laughs) Okay. Um... Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm I'm not personally against anything with dressing up like ghosts, and which uh, that's not what you're saying. But it's almost like dressing up as ghosts or goblins, whatever. It's like it, okay, fine, but there is still something that's off about it. It's almost in a sense of like, um, mocking death. And yeah, with what you're describing, Ross, with going to the cemetery, you know, it's going to the cemetery in sort of a more intentional way outside of the funeral, which is good. You know, it's because even some people certainly don't do that. But going to the cemetery just just because I think a lot of fathers or mothers, for that matter, would be reticent to take their children to a cemetery to visit a relative's grave just because it is obviously so awkward and uncomfortable. It's like, oh, what do you say? What if they're going to get upset or suddenly have a fear of death? And I don't know, maybe I'm being too uh, audacious because I don't have the responsibility of children. But, I mean, I would think that, well... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, those things, of course, could happen, but that's 
that's just a, a necessary important thing to still expose your child to with with certain certain amounts um yeah a child that wasn't comfortable handling funerals or visitations i would have a very low tolerance of because i would just think that much of uh what <laughs> that much of expose them to that maybe i'm too melancholic <laughs> death is coming kid <laughs> if you uh have you guys like so you've gone to the cemetery after the funeral did you guys ever have like often like kind of say a little bit of a sermon ashes to ashes and then everybody leaves have you ever stuck around and watched the casket lowered and all that stuff or no nope no but there's never been an opportunity to as far as i'm aware um i don't i guess i don't know if i've been at the gravesite a lot my grandma in the early 90s like part of the even the ashes to ashes was like they were there cranking the casket to the bottom while everyone was still there but my dad's side of the family it was always this is my great uncle like he always even if it was someone at the church like he just stuck around with the you know guy at the cemetery and helped him get it in the ground get it all unhooked um and then like start shoveling the dirt back on um and so when this great uncle died uh we always knew that was it was his tradition he was kind of effectively our grandpa um and so like everybody leaves the family goes back to the church to eat and we um we stuck around with his like 50 year old son 60 year old son um and like lowered it and help the help the guy like load everything back in the truck and like it was just dirt and that was like the last uh part of it so i've seen it seen it done a couple of times and uh it is like there's an eerie sense to it like this is the last mm. the last step um huh. yeah and yeah. here's a good trivia question light in the mood when was the last time anyone saw Abraham Lincoln? Somebody dug up the bones to make sure they're there. I forget. It might have been someone famous, too. Or, like, at least someone in history that was like, this guy. Maybe it was a myth. I don't know. It's the 1950s or 60s. I've heard exactly. What yeah. But I'm gonna. I should probably write in to have my body exhumed to make sure my body wasn't stolen. Just because I know there's gonna be so many people fighting over it. <laughs> I know Matt's gonna want it. Ross is gonna want it. <laughs> it's just gonna be straws. You guys are gonna pick straws. Well, you're gonna donate it to science, right? Like, here lies the. Yeah. Yeah, like who who can chug x amount of liters of beer and run a mile like that that needs to be studied <laughs> and there's a handful of others but we didn't even get I to know. your second excerpt ross do we should we think of a question to bring home oh, i don't have a question um it's funny i was gonna lighten the mood by how jimmy valvano 
<clears throat> handle the teleprompter for our fans that don't listen to the real speech. Oh, okay. But, I, can uh, keep, I can keep going, you know. I love podcasting. I breathe podcasting. I'm podcasting <laughs> another show right now. I'm actually doing... T- <laughs> so I love the part of the speech. <laughs> I'm getting the content to fit together perfectly. When, I mean, you guys know the part when... I don't want to misquote it, but I'll paraphrase the best I can, I guess. But apparently, like, the teleprompter thing was flashing. He was supposed to be finishing the speech. So he had, like, 30 seconds to get done. And what did he say? I'm, I'm almost there. Here we go. He goes, that screen is flashing up there 30 seconds. Like, I care about that screen right now, huh? I got tumors all over my body. I'm worried about some guy in the back going 30 seconds. You got a lot of, hey, Vava Napoli, buddy. You got a lot. Which Mike looked up. It means go to hell, I think. <laughs> yeah, go to Naples. I just thought that was like, a, I mean, like what a nice, just natural comedic relief to his speech right there. It was just great. Whenever I was, so Arthur Ashe is referenced in that second excerpt, whether or not we go into it, just as a fun little aside. <laughs> so for those who do not know Arthur Ashe was the first professional African American tennis player who passed away with AIDS um, first African American tennis professional tennis player well I guess technically also first one who died of AIDS but anyway <laughs> when I was playing tennis growing up with my parents whenever I would start losing I would start praying to Arthur Ashe to myself <laughs> what? Why? Why? Because I wanted to win, and I thought if I invoked his aid, I mean, mind you, I was only like nine or ten years old when I would do this. I was just, I was just. How do you know who he was? We, I think it was because we had, we had the full collection of Funkin' Wagnalls encyclopedia, and I would read this, and Arthur Ashe was an A. So I think I took <laughs> a lot of the A's. The most famous athlete to have an AA name. I'll go one more thing here, and if, if we can, you can take it out, Mike, if you want. But I really liked, it's a line that I didn't remember from the speech, honestly, because I'd heard it, I've heard the speech multiple times before, but re-listening to it to kind of prep, when I first started prepping for tonight's episode, Something that really stuck out to me that I don't, I didn't remember before. Maybe I, maybe I had heard it. Like maybe it hit me before and I just forgot. But he says, I'm trying to find it in the speech <clears throat> to give it like its full credit. Um, but he pretty much says, uh, I can't find it. That he wouldn't do any, like he's not changing anything. Um, uh, I'm trying. I apologize. Yeah, yeah here he goes. I can't help it. Now I'm fighting cancer. Everybody knows that. People ask me all the time about how you go through your life and how's your day, and nothing has changed for me. Um, that's when he kind of goes into, you know, he's still very emotional, and he's the son of Rocco and Angeli, all that stuff. But it just hit me like, I think it's fair and good to reflect on, like, if you were at your funeral, if you were about to pass away, like, what would you change in your life? Because those might be things that you, you need to act upon right now um, to live a better, more full life. But I also remember hearing something, I, I don't remember where I heard it, but um, kind of similar to what, maybe similar to what Jimmy V just said was like, 
trying to, to kind of hit home the point that like just life matters. Ordinary life is important. You don't have to do some huge romantic thing. Um, somebody gave the excerpt like, you know, if an asteroid was coming down to the earth right now and I was doing the dishes and I found out like you've only got an hour left, like what would you do? And the person responded like something defective, like, well, I'd keep doing the dishes because that was the right thing to do. Um, which probably not literally because it, I mean, dishes don't need to be clean if everything's gone in an hour. But just this kind of idea that, like, life matters. Like, the little ordinary things do matter. So, like, just doing those things really well um, is, I don't know, like, living a, is living life. You know what I mean? It doesn't, you know, sometimes life is those small things. And um, that's a really beautiful thing. So, I don't know, just this kind of idea. When he said, like, when Jimmy Vavano said, you know, nothing's changed. Um I don't know, I did, I just, that just kind of struck me as, yeah, like, it doesn't have to be, I mean, yeah, maybe you want to do something before you pass away, if you know, you have terminal cancer, like, I want to visit this place, maybe, but, like, it doesn't have to be that, it can also be, yeah, I'm still gonna take care of my kids, and, you know, talk to my wife, and, like, get frustrated by certain things, like, it doesn't have to change, because it's, like, life is good, you know, so, I don't know, that just kind of struck me. I feel like that might be fuel for an entire other podcast. Cause, yeah, you know, I don't know. That's a deep. Well, I don't know. We got four on the yeah, subject that's that's not that's to fair. like intentionally. That's true. Off. Yeah, we don't have to throw but all like, of all of our yeah, analogies like and anecdotes really and topic. lessons. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. That's just a good question and a good concept to like tinker with. And uh, yeah, I think I'm sure it'll come up in another speech. We could uh, every episode for this quad you know we finish yeah okay if you knew you're gonna die next week what are you gonna do different and then we challenge each other and we do that thing and three weeks later we ask it again and we just keep going see who's gonna go further (laughs) i'm gonna steal one of your three wives and by the end of it mike will be married yeah (laughs) The question to end before Mike does something he regrets. Um, the, the question to end is, what what are you going to do different this week? Now that we've thought about death so much, what are you going to do different this week? Not in ten years from now. Not how fast is your marathon going to be in three years? Like, what are you going to do different this week? Because of this podcast yeah. episode. It better be laugh, cry, or think, or you're wrong. <laughs> I was gonna say there's there's three answers here. Pick one, or watch oh, the Green Bay Packers. Boo. Are they in the playoffs? They are in the playoffs. Yeah, so you could do that. That's the easy. That's the cop out. Well, I already <laughs> cried this afternoon preparing for this speech, thinking about. My wife and my son, so I don't know. Maybe I'll do that again tomorrow. Maybe I'll just do the dishes, too. All right. I guess I'll try to laugh more because I only have three answers and I don't want to think, so. <laughs> I think I've laughed plenty tonight. I'll um, I'll do some contemplative thinking that may lead to a good cry. Well, shed, a, shed a tear. 
since I've been sick with COVID, I've watched a lot of movies, so I might say, oh, I'm going to look for a movie that will make me cry. Should we? So mm. everybody knows we have two of our four podcasters have COVID right now. So, like, should we tell the listeners about how great of a pump-up speech we had to give to get you guys ready to go tonight? Or is that just for the Diamond <laughs> members? Uh, gosh. Oh, man. That's such a... Oh, what was the can? I'm going to watch right, so the for Green Bay Packers. Just changed, so he's just going to keep doing the dishes. Um, he already lives Mike, life so fully. He's last Friday. He already laughs, thinks, and cries. All right. I think that'll probably do us for tonight. Right, guys? So, Jimmy Valvano, 1993 ESPYs. Hey, hold on. I know what episode is coming up, so I'm going to let the audience know that I am hosting our next episode coming up in three weeks. That episode will, or that speech will be given by Ida B. Wells, 1909, entitled This Awful Slaughter. <laughs> That's heavy, but uh, we'll go from there. So, it's been great, great chatting, folks. Lead us to a better place.